Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Once Bitten podcast. This is not about Bitcoin. This one is about answering the question, who is John Holt? Now, if you know, you know, that is a reference to who is John Galt and Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. But John Holt is something entirely different. John was or is considered to be one of the pioneers in the US for the homeschooling movement. John was a teacher himself until he suddenly came to the realization, why is it I teach, but they don't learn? The uh, rabbit hole opened up in front of him and then he dedicated the rest of his life to helping families and kids escape the state education system and make it easier for families and kids to be able to do that. His studies led him to re, uh, excuse me, write several books, including um, Teach Your Own and How Children Learn, which are fundamental books for many people in the homeschooling community. Pat Ferenga, today's guest, carried on John's work after working with him for many years before John's passing. This is the closest we will ever get to finding out who is John Holt. So sit back and listen to Pat. And thank you always, everybody, for listening. A quick word for the show sponsors, StackSats, that means buy Bitcoin. If you're not doing that, you can do that in the US with Swan Bitcoin and in Europe with Relay, R-E-L-A-I dot C-H. You can hit the link in the show notes and you can also stack sats by Bitcoin with HODL, HODL, KYC free and a peer-to-peer -peer global trading and lending platform. If you want to up your privacy for your Bitcoin, you can use wasabiwallet.io. That is a coin join service and then take full custody of your Bitcoin, which is the most important thing you should be doing with the Bitbox 02. If you use the code BITTEN after hitting the link in the show notes, you will save 5% on that piece of equipment. Mempool.space is the place to go to track all of these transactions and to help you visualize what the Bitcoin blockchain is and what is going on in the mempool and the fees at current for transacting Bitcoin. Orange Pill app is an app where you can download and get pure signal and find Bitcoiners near and around you or Bitcoin events. It is a paid app. You have to pay three to four bucks per month and give it a whirl. Go out, find your people, learn. The time is now. It is very, very important. We get as many people up to speed about Bitcoin as we possibly can. Get to a conference. The next one I'll be going to, 1st to the 3rd of March, with my wife, with my kids, is in Madeira. You can use the code BITTEN to get a 10% discount off of that event. It's going to be absolutely huge. And if you want to keep upping your education or gifting your friends as Christmas comes, go to bitcoinbook.shop. Use the code BITTEN to save 10% on any books that you buy from that website. Enjoy this show with Pat. 
All right, Pat, great to see you again. Thanks for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, Lauren is here to ask you the first question, uh, of course. And oh, I think she already you, did Lauren. this maybe, maybe on some of the other interviews we've done together in the past, but never mind. Go, go ahead. What, what's the question? Um, who is John Holt? Who was John Holt? John Holt was a fifth grade school teacher in private schools who started to question what he was doing in front of the classroom after many years of teaching, because he said, I teach, but they don't learn. So what's going on? So he wrote a book called How Children Fail, where we tried to explain that it was the structure of, the, of schooling, the, the way he had to run his classes that prevented a, a genuine exchange of information between teacher and student and just, you know, as John said, it, you know, the students are empty bottles and the teachers pouring knowledge into them. And, you know, he wanted to change that. He preferred the metaphor of the gardener. He says, you know, you can't, you can't force flowers to grow fast. <laughs> you know, you just nurture them and, and, and work with them. Um, and a lot of people didn't like those ideas. He worked at, worked at it for many years. Uh, his second book, How Children Learn, came out. And that just celebrated its 50th uh, anniversary in print of, what, about four years ago. And just got translated into Italian. So his work is in, in How Children Fail, his first book, is also still in print. So, you know, he, 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 hit, a, he hit a nerve, <laughs> you know, but uh, he couldn't change his, people wouldn't change the school. Schools wouldn't change. In fact, he saw that schools were getting more like school in the sense of, you know, being rigid, uh, requiring tests. In, instead of uh, a, a proof of ability or a project or a demonstration, it always had to be a test score. And so after working and writing several books on this topic, you know, trying to figure out how do I, how do I get children to really uh, explore the world and be part of it so they can learn. You know, we don't learn just by being instructed through a curriculum over 12 years because, you know, John saw that, when kids aren't in school, they learn from play, they learn from silence, they learn from asking questions of other people, other kids, you know. And so long story short, uh, in 1977, he said, I'm giving up on trying to change the schools. I've said everything I can to try and change the schools. The only way they'll change is if people show them another way. So he supported homeschooling. He wrote a book called Instead of Education, that called for an underground railroad to get kids out of school uh, because he was still in that school mentality. But uh, people wrote to him after he wrote that book saying, oh, John, you don't need an underground railroad. You could just teach your own children. And he was like, tell me more. <laughs> and then the very next year, that book came out in 76. In 1977, he founded Growing Without Schooling magazine. I'm, I'm editing a, a, a collection of it right now. This is the 10th anniversary issue. I was 26 or 27 uh, when I published this. You know, John had been dead um, maybe a year or two years at that, at that point. And so we continued his work. And, you know, when John was alive, uh, there were maybe 2,000 subscribers from the magazine. When we closed it in uh, 2001, we had about 5,000. We never seemed to be able to, to get over that. But um, we clearly influenced a lot of people, you know, I mean, needless to say, a lot of people, you know, felt like school at home was more the way to go than unschooling, which is what John termed homeschooling, because he didn't want to turn your, <laughs> so why, why, we're, we're leaving school and trying to show them ways to do things better, like, you know, how, you know, 
it was not against school, you know, but he was just like, let the ch children choose it, you know, and um, that long story short. So that's how he came to homeschooling and unschooling. And uh, that's in a synopsis. That's who John Holt was. <laughs> Amazing. And we will dig into more of that as well, Pat. And um, for reasons that uh, I'll explain to you. Um, but um, is, is that a good enough answer for you? Did you have any follow up questions? Yeah, you can ask me anything. What was it like working with John Holt? It was a very different experience than anything I could have expected. You know, because I went to college, I got a graduate degree. I thought I was going to be working in some sort of you know school or uh, or business, and um, you know, and because I, my major was English, I figured I could you know be a writer or you know do marketing or something like that. So when I came to work for John, I, I went in there just to learn the skill of word processing. Nowadays, you don't even know what that is. <laughs> you know, everyone has it built into their phones. I mean, that's basically what Microsoft Word is or Apple Pages. But back, back then in 1981, they had separate machines called word processors. And they used little teeny floppy disks that could hold maybe 12 pages tops of information. And John, John was in love with that machine. He had an Olivetti and he thought it was the greatest thing. And, uh, and everyone, you know, when I was looking for work, cause I, I graduated and I thought I'd be, um, you know, like I said, working in an office or something, they weren't hiring teachers or anything when I, you know, they were firing teachers. They were having all these budget cutbacks. So I wound up running a cash register in a bookstore, but that bookstore uh, was near the Holt office and John was an avid reader. And one of the cashier's husbands was a volunteer at the Holt office. And so I said, you know, I really want to get out of, you know, retail sales and, you know, and, and do something. So I, I guess I got to learn word processing. So one of the cashier, her name was Cindy, said, oh, my husband, will, you know, he volunteers up at Holt. So he'll teach you how to use a word processor in return for uh, using it to answer correspondence and fill orders and all that other stuff. And so that, that's how I got started there. And John was actually speaking in Scandinavia. He had a three-month speaking tour. <laughs> uh, he had just published Teach Your Own, and it was very controversial when it first came out. And so I, I, I had this image of the office as a, a very um, you know, busy spot, but I was always there in the evening because I was working the bookstore during the day. And one, one night, like I'd been there now maybe two or three months, there was John Hall. <laughs> he was actually just sitting in the stacks of, you know, of the inventory of all the books, just, just pulling a book off the shelf and reading it. And I was like, oh, who are you? <laughs> He's like, I'm John Holt. <laughs> and we started talking and, um, you know, I explained to him, you know, he, he, was, he was given a heads up that there would be someone in the office that night, but, you know, he didn't, we'd never met. And so one thing led to another. And um, I, what I realized is that John had, had different ideas about, like he was like he was reading books like *In Search of Excellence* and *Theory Z*, all these books about Japanese management and stuff. Then you know, it involves bringing the, the employees closer to management and, and making decisions jointly and stuff, and and, and trying to, to run these these companies like that. And um, and that's how he was running Holt Associates. You know, he just felt that it was important that that people own their work. <laughs> 
You know, he always said that teachers should be the bosses of their own classrooms. And that's one of the problems of school is they don't let them do that, you know. So, uh, you know, I was kind of surprised, you know, and pleased to, to find that, you know, if you took some initiative and it failed, you didn't get you know, slapped on the hand or fired. John just, well, what went wrong? You know, <laughs> yeah, what were you trying to do? Okay. And, you know, and, and so, yeah, I, I learned a, a lot of different things. And so I went from packing books and volunteering. Uh, they were growing. Um, you know, he'd been on a couple of TV shows and you could see these on online on YouTube. The Phil Donahue show was, was huge. They used to drop mail sacks full of, of ma reader mail to us. It was amazing back then, you know. And so I became ad manager. They, you know, they needed uh, you know, some more income. And so I, 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 that position was just created, you know, and, uh, and I filled that role. And then one thing led to another, you know, his manager left and, you know, suggested I replace her. And I did. And then I worked very closely with John, you know, so, um, yeah, it was a great experience working for him. And this is important. He wanted parents, the office to be welcoming to children. So we all, we always had volunteer families, homeschooling families that would come in with their children, but we also had employees who brought in their own children. And that's, you know, and that was something that, that I, I, you know, continued and brought my own kids into work. I, I, you know, I have photos. In fact, they might be in this issue. I don't know. Maybe it's in issue 57 of, oh, here it is. <laughs> so this is the 10th anniversary. This is the staff. This is me at my desk with my nine month old daughter who I brought in because my wife was working as a, a, a TR Productions, a, a media company at the time. So, yeah, and, um, you know, that's Suzanne. There's Donna with her child. She was one of the editors. And, yeah, I don't know if you can see, see all this. There's Lauren at the office climbing up. I don't know if you can see this, you know, trying to climb up and grab a book off a shelf. You know, this was uh, two of them, Sue Mahika and her, uh, her daughter, Celia, I think was her name. Yeah, Celia Mahika and Lauren just, just there exploring the bookshelves. So it was really cool, like, you know, and, you know, was, I'll never forget, uh, we had a UPS driver. This, this is many years later, too, as, you know, we moved our offices as we grew. <laughs> this UPS driver uh, it came in one day, and uh, he was putting the boxes down. He saw all these kids playing on the floor and a mom on the phone and another person, you know, packing books. And he says, what is this place? I thought it was a school or a kindergarten, but it's an office. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so it was a, it was a cool place to be. <laughs> I think <laughs> some people don't like working around kids. I, I have no problem with that. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's a nightmare. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> as she's, uh, as she's sitting here uh, asking the first question on the podcast, but, um, yeah, her name's Lauren too. And, uh, she's been helping out on the podcast, uh, for the last three years. So, yeah, bring, bring your kids to work day, every day, right. because every we're day. in the same house every day. Oh, Karina, right. our facilitator, she had to bring her seventh month old or no, older. Um, yeah, to, to, yeah, she had to bring him in because she he just woke up just when she was about to go in class with us. Right. So, yeah, but it was really cute because we got to see him. So. Right. Well, thank you. I know you've got to run for a yes, club. So, yeah. yeah. Bye. Thank you so Bye. much. Bye. Nice to meet you, Lauren. Nice to meet nice you. Too. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, yes. Nice Sorry. Nice <laughs> right. Thanks, Pat. Oh, my pleasure. 
Um, yeah, there's there's lots to to pull on here. So just to get you up to speed, the last time we spoke was for the uh, the global the homeschooling global summit, which we did um, uh, various um, I think 2019 and 2020, and you were you know uh, very kind enough to give up your time and come on. And from those summits um, spawned uh, Galileo, which now become Crubrio, which is what Lauren is still on. So that's what she's referencing. That's what she's is off now to go and do a um, a filmmaking club. So it's uh, an, a kind of a self-directed education, unschooling approach to give the students the ability to choose the kind of clubs that they're interested in and, and then uh, connect with uh, an expert or somebody that um, can can run the club. So... That's what's been going on since uh, we last spoke. Still very much into the uh, unschooling, self-directed education realm. And I also um, run this podcast, which is a Bitcoin podcast. But one thing that has been really evident in the space and with the people that I meet when I travel around the world going to conferences is people come across to me and are very interested in this idea of separate separating education from state and mm -hmm. the reason being because if you've already discovered bitcoin you've already decided that ah hang on perhaps the state controlling the currency in which i exchange my time and energy to accrue that currency is being controlled by uh, a monopolistic cartel that can raise and lower interest rates at a whim or freeze my bank accounts, or print money into the system whenever they want. That's not something I want to be a part of anymore. So a lot of people who have come into the space, they've separated money from state, and it's just a natural progression to, huh, what else can I separate and take more control of, of my life? And I've had numerous people on the show talking about their own experiences with their own families. Uh, I've also had um, Peter Gray and Naomi Fisher on the show. So it's nice to keep this going with having yourself on and talking about John, because a lot of people have just learned about John through listening to the show and listening to these ideas. They're like, okay, well, where should I go? What are the resources? So John Holt, obviously name comes up a lot. And I just wanted to get you on to go through exactly because in my mind and probably in many others, he's probably kind of the, the pioneer uh, I would say, uh, especially in the US, if not globally, the pioneer of this movement of, wait, perhaps this system isn't right. Perhaps this isn't, you know, serving our kids. So what, what led John to that point before he was a school teacher? Because I think that is a very interesting topic as well. What, what he'd done before becoming a school teacher. And then you can you can take us on that arc of of his life and how all of a sudden bam he's on the scene with his books dropping truth bombs the donahue show which i urge yeah. anybody to go and watch on youtube it's so frustrating that we're still having the same arguments today but was in it oh <laughs> so yeah let, let, let's go for it let's try and unpack a little bit about um yeah what was he doing beforehand before he uh became oh. a school teacher Sure. Before we, he uh, graduated from an Ivy League college and um, immediately went in the Navy. He was World War II in 1943, and he became a lieutenant on a submarine, uh, saw active duty in the South Pacific. Um, and um, after that, you know, I mean, his experience being in the, in the military 
he fully grasped the dangers of nuclear power and you know of being a nuclear power and he didn't feel that um and, and, and he wasn't alone i mean there was this group called the world federalists that wanted to create a world government to control nuclear weapon um and he joined that and he became a spokesperson for it i think he was like um the head of the new york state chapter he would go around but then he realized after, I don't know, maybe three or four years of work there that the organization w was was funded and thriving, but they weren't making any progress on nuclear you know, deproliferation. <laughs> if, if anything, it was getting worse. And, um, and he felt that, you know, the, 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 the overall structure was just becoming self-serving rather than actually focused on its actual issue that it wants to do, which is prevent nuclear war. And so John was very disillusioned with, with the way that that went. And um, he quit the, he quit it. And um, he, I forget exactly the, the sequence, but what happened was uh, he decided to take a year off more or less. <clears throat> Did something that, you know, now we call gap year, but, he was in his late 20s or mid-20s at this point and already served in a war. So I don't know if you can call it a gap year, but uh, he rode a bike around Europe and um, and trying to figure out what he wanted to do. And, you know, his, you know, some of his journal entries from that time, you know, show, you know, fishing around for, for things. But he was always thinking about, um, you know, what, you know, what, what, what work do I want? How do I do this? And so when he went back to the States, he lived, he had two sisters um, uh, and both of them, uh, one, one lived in Connecticut, the other in New Mexico. And he was closest with the one in New Mexico, Jane. And she had three kids, I believe. Young children, very young children, under five. And uh, John was living with them. And um, she noticed how, how well he got along with the kids. And um, so she said, well, why don't you try being a school teacher? And, and he was like, well, I don't know. I don't have the degree, blah, blah, blah. So she said, well, look, there's a school. Uh, it's, called, it's still there, the Colorado Rocky Mountain School. Um, and she said, you know, why don't you go there? So John thought about it and um, he went and he said, and they said, well, look, we're not looking for any teachers right now, but we need a soccer coach and a cook. And that's what and John took those positions. Because, you know, and, and, and he, he writes about this in, Never, in his book, Never Too Late, about like, why do we delay going? Like, if you want to find work worth doing, why do we say you need four years of college before you can go and see if you want to do it? He says, go directly to it and see what happens, you know? And then if you need further education or whatever, whatever you know, prerequisites they require for the job, then you decide at that point, do I want to do it? You don't, like, invest four years of study only to find, and then we know this from, like, you know, a lot of lawyers really, because now there's a lot of lawyers in America, and a lot of them, you know, feel trapped because they have all these loans and, and things that, you know, and they have well-paying jobs, but they don't like their job anymore. <laughs> but, you know, so they're trapped, you know, and and John, you know, was 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 wise enough to see that happening, uh, but but in, but he lived what he what he preached, you know. So he worked worked there as a as a cook and a soccer coach, and then he became a fifth grade teacher. Um, you know, and uh, there's a photo on our website. Uh, which, by the way, I, I'm just before I joined this, I got a note from the web designer I'm working with that the new update is up there. So I hope to debut a, a whole new website in the next, you know, in the coming weeks. Um, you know, 
And it's got some, some neat, neat things uh, from the archives in there that, that haven't been up there before. But um, so John, John was, did that. And then, and then, you know, he always loved music. He was, in those years, he was playing the, the flute and, um, and, and, and he loved classical music. And he decided, well, you know, now that, now that I found work that I, 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 I enjoy doing, um, I, I don't really care for Colorado that much because it doesn't have as much music as he wanted. So I moved to Boston. And he wound up teaching at some of the finest private schools in Boston, the Commonwealth School, the Fairweather. So these are all here. You know, they're all, all the, uh, you know, the Ivy League prep schools, you know, for in the Boston area. And it was here in Boston where John had that revelation. I teach, but they don't learn. And so, um, you know, but rather than, you know, again, like uh, I, I, I just love the example that he sets. Rather than just trying to figure out himself, he worked with his friend Bill Hull, who was also a teacher there, and and the school was willing to let them do this, where they co-taught. So Bill would be in front of the class, John would be taking notes in the back of the class, then they'd switch, and then at the end of the day or the week, they'd compare their notes. And in fact, if you read How Children Fail, you will be reading those notes. You, you, you see them, you know, going back and forth. And so it's a model of how we learn. You know, I mean, John didn't arrive at his ideas out of some ideological position. He arrived at them from a practical position of, well, how do I help these children learn? And then he realized that, you know, so much of, 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 of learning was, was, you know, stymied by all the um, prerequisites and concepts about how children learn, such as they only learn by being instructed and then we test them. And, and John showed it at his prep school. I, you know, he and Bill would give a test on Friday. 99% of the kids would pass. They give the same test on Monday. 98% would fail. <laughs> He'll be like, what's going on here? And, and, uh, and how children learn. 1964, he said, school is just a charade of learning at the highest levels. At the, I mean, that's the thing people keep forgetting. He's, talk, he's criticizing the the Ivy League prep schools, not, you know, not just you know, the, the public schools that everyone likes to dump on, you know. So, um, you know, with, with, with that insight, you know, he, he, yeah, he, he got fired uh, from his work after that because he started to do things like, well, what, what are you interested in? So kids would say music. So he would bring a trumpet in or a typewriter. You know, he would bring real objects in to let children use. And then uh, other teachers started to complain his classes were noisy. Other students want to be in John's classes because, you know, they're more interesting. And the, so there was all this, 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 this pressure. And so, you know, he, he wound up getting fired from, from a lot of his jobs. But then How Children Fail became a bestseller. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and it's so, you know, it's, it's so interesting to me, um, you, know, you know, because another person that we're both familiar with had a similar trajectory, John Gatto. Uh, he was uh, teaching in the New York City public schools, and he was getting kids out on, on the street. Like, if they wanted to sell sweaters, the homemade sweaters, he, he figured out ways to get them out of the classrooms when they could do, do that. One kid wanted to be a, a cartoonist. He figured out how to get him a – he had a connection with Marvel, I think it was, and he, he, was, he got him able to intern there, you know. And then he was going to get fired for that, you know, because he wasn't teaching the curriculum. But he was getting results. So he submitted his work to uh, New York State's uh, Teachers of the Year Awards, and he won it. And his book, Dumbing Us Down, is all about like pretty much how he 
took kids outside the classroom and by exposing them to the real world, they rose to the occasion and, and, and did these things. But he literally had to write that book to keep his teaching position. Um, and then, you know, he, he decided, you know, he wasn't going to be a teacher anymore. But, you know, he, um, you know, so, so, you know, John was among the first, but he's hardly the first to have these insights. I mean, you know, he, John, I mean, if you go back to like Bronson Alcott, you know, um, the father of Louisa May Alcott and Little Woman, I mean, they were all homeschooled. And, and there are so many uh, in Britain, you know, I mean, we have Summerhill, but I forget before there, I forget the gentleman's name, but before Summerhill, there was yet someone else who influenced A.S. Neal. You know, so there's always been this this trend of working with individuals, working with people in their interest instead of what some authority on high says. Oh, you must all learn Spanish. Why? <laughs> you know, it's like if I want to learn Spanish, I mean, there's a reason. But it, 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 it turns out the reason in America, at least, is because colleges require a foreign language. Why? You probably oh, because it shows you're a well-rounded individual. Why? <laughs> so you know, we're, we're stuck with, 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 the, with this legacy of, of, of assumptions that are really based on like the 19th century concept of, you know, stand and deliver and sit down, shut up and do as I say, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and, and now I'm worried, you know, as we see AI and, um, you know, all, all, all these uh, things coming up, I mean, you know, places like, like what you're describing, like Cubrio and uh, other places that use technology as a way to get kids into the world. It's not like trying to lock them into a headset for three hours. That was, there was this New York article about the brave new world of homeschooling just a couple of weeks ago. And it's about kids wearing virtual reality headsets for three hours a day. And I'm like, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> virtual reality. Yeah, that's something to explore. That's something to be aware of. But I don't want to live in it, <laughs> you know, three hours a day. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's crazy. Um, yeah. And just just to um, touch on John here again, um, I've just I visited John Holt GWS, and I just had a quick look at a few of the pictures. And um, a part of his life here, I didn't realize I'd, I'd not read about this part. Um, refusing an honorary degree from uh, yes. Wesleyan Wesleyan. What, Wesleyan, yeah. Wesleyan University. And the yeah. quote, and uh, yeah, this is awesome. Uh, author John Holt, critic of modern education, refused to accept an honorary degree as he spoke recently at Wesleyan University, saying that colleges are among the chief enslaving institutions in America. This was 1970s, mm -hmm. dropping these kind of truth bombs. That's right. That's right. Because he saw how, you know, what was preventing a lot of classroom change at like the elementary, even the kindergarten level was people's obsession about getting into college. Mm. And, and I think we sort of hit the apogee when, um, you know, we had this college, you know, every, you know, when uh, uh, president Obama had the college for all program and he was trying to increase. And then the next thing, you know, we have like these thousands of students or may maybe million students with, with debt that that's killing them right now. And, Jobs that don't pay anywhere near what they need to repay this debt. So, you know, I mean, yeah, they're, you know, so how can you say they're not enslaving if they're, you know, if they're literally putting people, you know, just, we don't have debtors prison, but it might as well be, right, with the stress that people have about dealing with, with, with the, this sort of stuff. Did the so, two yeah, Johns, 
critical. Did, did the two Johns ever meet? Did, did Holt and Gatto? No, no. No? John Gatto came around in 1991, 92, I believe. Right. You know, John had been, he died in 1985. Right. Yeah. We, because it's interesting because, you know, uh, I've read Gatto's work, uh, Dumbing Us Down, Weapons of Mass Instructions, uh, Weapons of Mass Instruction, and um, The Underground History. Now, mm -hmm. it's the underground history where that's where it gets dark, right? That that's where. It... Yeah, and yeah, and and yeah. I mean, just just briefly. I mean, that was one of the things. You know, I mean, John was always John Gatto was always far more conservative than I than I knew because he presented as as like you know this liberal reformer. Let's give kids all this freedom, but as time went on and and he got more and more involved in like you know, I hate to say conspiracy theories because you know, the, but but. He, he came close. He, he gets adjacent to, to that in underground history a lot. And I remember, like, he wanted me to publish it. He wanted Holt Associates to publish the book. And the first thing I said, well, we have to do it as a couple of volumes. Because the manuscript, I'm not kidding, the manuscript he gave me was like this. You know? yeah. I mean, thousands of pages. And and without even looking at any of my commentary, no, no, nothing, not a word changes. You know, just, it's just, you know, if it is, it's, it's going to be me. And, you know, that got him, you know, I mean, that, that that's how he lost a major publisher for the book. He, he, he had a nice contract signed up for it to come out with us, a major American publisher. And uh, he reneged on the deal because mm. he didn't want to do the edits, you know. And uh, so that's why you wound up self-publishing it. Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible piece of work. And just from that, that caption reading John Holt, John Holt clearly saw that there was some kind of uh, enslavement going on there and and taylor gatto mm -hmm. and his work is like listen this has been arranged in such a way to keep you dumb right. dumbing us down to keep that glass ceiling yeah. right above your head to keep you enslaved and then as you said you know you now have this situation where so many kids whether they're millennials or um whatever generation just underneath crippling debt where they were yeah. almost marketed university or college uh on a grand mm -hmm. scale just to get them in there and to to take those debts and when you look at the way that the debt system is set up as well the finance system like you know a, an entrepreneur at the age of 18 you might get ten thousand dollars business loan if you're really lucky and you find the right person mm -hmm. on the right day at the right bank and you've shopped around for months on mm -hmm. end but you'll get a 200 grand check to go to college. You, you know, like things like this, yeah. it's obvious how it's been skewed right. To, right. to get people on this right. kind of debt hamster wheel. And, and you know, I, I hope the cat's out of the bag, although I doubt it because, you know, people, people just, you know, don't see options. I mean, you know, and, and that's the thing, you know, to, to go back to homeschooling. That's the options. Like you don't have to go. You know, learning is part of growth. You don't have to go to school to grow. You know, but you know, John was was not. Um, a, well, well, John Holt favored. Um, you know, talked about vouchers is, is a possible way of, of changing because he really felt that, as do I, that we need thousands more places for children to be and 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 learn from and people you know to mix with. You know, it shouldn't just be this, you know, K through 12 setup that, that you know, that we had. And um, as as Ivan Illich pointed out in his book, Deschooling Society, which really influenced John in 1971, 
Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to communist China or you go to America or Canada or Britain, the schools are run the same. The bells ring, the teachers teach, the students obey. You know, and you know, the content is different, but the structure is the same. And then I later learned through by by studying with Illich that actually this gentleman, this French philosopher, Jacques Ellul, pointed this out in a, bo- a book called The Technological Society that came out in the 50s. And he called you know, schools this massive form of, um, of social control, that it's a technology to keep you know, the, the masses you know, busy. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, so there's quite a tradition of, 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 of analysts who, who look at this. But, you know, it's, you know, it, 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 it's really interesting to me that, that you know, the, the, taking the step out like like you have, like I have, you know, and just saying, well, let, let's explore. I mean, we still intersect with the education establishment for different. In fact, we can even make the Kubrio is like, you know, a, a school. But the big difference is people are, are choosing and they're able to design. Like, you know, if your, your, your daughter is interested in uh, studying whales, she could do it right now. But first, you would have to take a course in marine biology, <laughs> right? No, now you go right to whales and then spread out to these other things, you know. But we have this idea that all information is organized, you know, and 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 you know, like you know, it always cracks me up when I, the OECD is like this taxonomy of everything that every child needs to learn, and it's just like and and they and and when they should learn it, and, you know, it's like, well, wait a minute, you know, what if so? What if you don't learn to to Spanish until you're in your twenties and you decide, oh, you know, I want to, I want to go to Mexico, and so pick up some Spanish there. You know, I mean, this idea that that schools turn us into Swiss Army knives. So once we we graduate, we we forget ninety nine percent of what we're as soon as the test is over because it's it's really not self motivated. There's no. no intrinsic motivation. The only reason we're doing it is because we have to. Absolutely. And the, yeah, the Ivan Illich book is a great one. There's another one out there for, for people listening to this that uh, might not be aware. Murray Rothbard wrote a book called Education Free and Compulsory, which mm. is another really interesting look at like the education system and mm-hmm. um, how it's been set up and why and uh, you know some of the things you should really be uh, awake to. So what I'd mm-hmm. be interested to know now is John gets to this point. He starts dropping all the truth bombs. He must come in with a bit of flack. He goes on the um the, the Phil Donahue show. Is that correct? Yeah, Phil Donahue. Yeah. yeah. You start getting sacks of mail. Um, mm-hmm. you, you're in a battle right now, right? Because you've gone up against uh the establishment. People, the education system, most systems in in general, but the education system certainly doesn't like being criticised. I mean, how dare you? How dare mm-hmm. you criticize this establishment? I mean, mm-hmm. what, you don't like education, Mr. Ferenga? Like, you don't agree that free <laughs> education is a human right? You know, all of this real, perfectly crafted way of diminishing you comes at you. And I, I remember watching that Donahue uh, show on YouTube, shaking my head, but John was so calm and collected. He must have battered them back so many times. Oh yeah. What other kind of problems were you facing then as you were trying to grow this awareness, trying to ring the alarm bell to people, trying to give them that that hope that you know you you have another choice. What 
were you getting lent on from you know mainstream media and um, negative articles? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, one of the things that you know, I mean, I, you know, I was raised in a very you know, conventional uh, Catholic family and went to you know a, a lot of parochial schools. Although I, my first three years were in public school in the Bronx, but um, you know, one of the things that that, that you know changed is, is when I when I started working with John and I started meeting like um, well you know. How can I phrase this? Uh, so, you know, one of the things that John, that Growing Without Schooling did was it created, because uh, it started in 1977. So it's definitely the first publication about, probably in the world, about learning outside of school. Um, but by 1981, when I got there, and that was the year he did the Donahue show, um, you know, th there were religious families who were questioning, and um, and certainly that you could see it in, in the issues of GWS, they were writing in. But then, you know, some of their leaders questioned John's, you know, because he wasn't religious, you know, he was definitely secular, you know, and I've kept the company secular, and and, 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 and I, I'm not a joiner anymore, <laughs> you know, I, I've kind of, you know, my, my personal experience with, with religion with me and my family have led, has led me, you know, I, I believe that there's things we don't understand in life and that there's possibilities out there, but it, 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 to me, it's all become political. Like, and I saw that happening in the homeschooling movement, even in the eighties, you know, I mean, there'd be articles like when John was, was on the um, Donnie show, there's a, a family there from Utah, uh, the Kinmonts. And they were, they were skeptical. I remember they were very influential and they had written this. I mean, is John Holt good or bad? Some, some article like that before. And I think this was before they even went on the, the, the Donahue show, but after they met John and heard and heard him, they they came around and they said he's okay, <laughs> you know he's okay. <laughs> but there was always that tension, you know, and 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 that got really strong um, as, as like curriculum manufacturers moved into homeschooling, and then it became like you know almost just like here, like you know you, you drop the name of the school your kids in, well dropping the name of the curriculum you, you you were using was like the code that oh yeah I'm a good Christian because I'm doing such and such, you know. But there there's you know, there's a truth to what John said, you know, and people who are around their kids. And that's what he always said. He said I don't care if people use curriculum. Was, the kids will eventually show them, you know, it's not working. And if they're sensitive, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, if you're, you're sensitive to, to what's going on with your kids, you know, then you would you would adjust. You know, I, for, I forget how the quote goes, but the, one of his books, John said, if the teaching, if, if your children, if your child doesn't learn the way you're teaching, you need to adjust your teaching to the child. You know, it, 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 it's putting the, putting it back on us instead of always blaming the student, which is, you know, the, the way most school works. And in fact, most curriculum <laughs> design programs work. Oh, you know, if you didn't explain it properly to the child or the child didn't understand it. Not, you know, it's never a valid reason that, no, this really just had no bearing on the child, on, on anybody's thing. It was just, you know, busy work to, you know, to check it off. In fact, in the early days, I'm sure you'll probably still do this even with computers. But in the early days, there was a course, there were a lot of correspondence programs, you know, for homeschooling. And uh, one of the most popular was Calvert. It still is. It's, it's you know, it's a, it's a you know, but back in the, then, they, they were selling their curriculum to uh, military people, ambassadors, children, you know, Americans who, who were like 
so it wasn't homeschooling per se. But once you know, we found out about it, so I publicized it in GWS and other organizations. You know, did Calvert like you know really really became uh, popular, but it, it was a standard curriculum, you know, and so that became you know sort sort of a an, another what can I say um, marker, you know, and then of course if you said you're unschooling, you know, in fact I I heard. Uh, for a while there, there were some Christians, because I've heard this, because I, I, I would speak at, at Christian conferences, and I, and I hope to again sometime, but it was very common, you know, there wasn't like this this horrible split that we have now, where like, you know, and again, it's all politics. Was, I remember back in, in the, the 80s, they were talking about like Homeschool Legal Defense Association, they wanted to get uh, Mike Ferris on the Supreme Court, <laughs> they were talking about that even back then, <laughs> you know, so I was like, wait, I just want to help Everybody get their children who wants to get their children out of school to do it so that we could show that there are other ways. You know, John wasn't talking about taking money from schools. He wasn't talking, you know, in fact, he was encouraging people like, see if you could work with your school. I was able to get my daughter to take a Spanish class in our local uh, elementary school. You know, uh, we just made a deal with the principal and it, and it worked, you know. Uh, she came in, <laughs> signed in, took the class, signed out, came back home. You know, that we can make these things work. And, and so John wasn't trying to rip public education down. You know, um, I, my my taxes, they still go to, you know, I'm unfortunate they don't go to the public school. If you don't send a kid to it, it goes to this thing called the general fund, you know. <laughs> so, you know, God knows where, where, the, where the general fund goes in Massachusetts, but uh, there it is. I would much prefer that my money go to the school. You know, I'm not, you know. I, I mean, I would like that they become more open and let us take classes or participate in the sports and drama offering, stuff like that. But, you know, they, they've created this wall over the years and a lot of private people have moved in. And thank God they did, you know, because, you know, they provided more more options for, for families. But, you know, we're, I, I really do feel that one thing that that we're losing um, sight of in all this, and I think COVID really brought this out, is that it's socialization is really the most important thing. You know, people always get this backwards with, with unschooling in, in particular, you know, because, I mean, John, John, the best reason for teaching your child at home is so that they become better socialized. <laughs> You know, it's not it's not the uh, the peer group socializing them. It's it's adults. It, it's a mixed society. Children of different ages, children from different backgrounds. You know, uh, and and this is the thing that I, I think upsets you know um, you know the more you know libertarian or conservative critics of, of of unschooling because John does feel that you know I mean he considered himself a citizen as do I and uh, you know and. There should be public spaces. There should be commons. And we've had them throughout every society. You know, there, there's been these public spaces and uh, what, I, what what some people refer to as third places. You know, we have home and we have work. And, you know, people, I forget, Roy Oldham, I think that's an Oldham uh, sociologist or anthropologist noted that, you know, we've lost these third places in our rush to modernity. You know, uh, the pub, you know, that, that's a classic example. But, you know, just places where people could socialize without like an agenda, <laughs> you know. And then if they wanted to create, you know, like, you know, put on a play or something, they they had an opportunity and they had a location that they could do that. 
You know, instead now everything is is become so privatized and and so particular about who can use what and and so on that you know we're we're, we're kind of losing this idea of the citizen. You know, and and you know, and ironically, you know, John's you know Horace Mann, who was one of the the founders of the American school system, said that you know we that we need schools so children are socialized. And John was not the first, as I said, people like Bronson Olcott and other people said, no, this isn't how we socialize. <laughs> we socialize by doing things together, by you know, participating in activities, not by constantly being instructed. Mm-hmm. You know? And we socialize so, with, with, with collaboration, right? Rather than competition. Yeah, Whereas in school, yeah, it's just, exactly. you know, you're complete, you're, you're, you're pitted against your peers and your um, classmates in competition all of the time like sit down shut up do your own work no copying like, yeah what okay in what workplace would that make sense in what workplace would you not collaborate with each other to solve a problem whereas in right. school you're given the same problem and only you're allowed to solve it but you've got to follow the formula i told you to solve you can't find a different formula to solve it because you've right. all got to do the same thing it's nonsense and so how it is. How can one socialize if you're told to sit down and shut up for seven and a half hours of an eight hour day? Exactly, exactly. And, and, and this really, COVID really brought this home to me and because as soon as it hit and, the, and there was all this debate about closing schools or not and what to do, you know, I, I remember, you know, talking, talking about this with a couple of friends of mine at the time. It's like, I hope that they let the kids out, you know, because we already knew that, you know, Scandinavia, a lot of, you know, a lot of other countries, discovered early on that being outdoors you didn't spread the illness as much and 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 that children needed to socialize <laughs> they needed to play they needed fresh air you know and instead we it, it just shows you how we think about education we force parents to turn their homes into classrooms using the computer and we all know how you know I mean, not everyone can, can own it, you know, own the computer. It was, it was a complete mess. Instead, like, you know, in, 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 in the inner city, like we have playgrounds and we have teachers and phys ed teachers. We have facilities. They would all be outdoors. They could wear masks. Things would have been safe. And at least the kids would have gone, you know, gotten out and continued to learn and grow. But that, you know, I don't know why educators can't see that, that, you know, that, you know, that is how you learn and grow. It's not just passing tests, you know, or, or, or following instructions. Yeah, those are important at certain times of your life, right? But <laughs> not a steady diet, and especially for children. So to me, like, you know, to, when schools are saying, you know, because we've been hearing it ever since I've been in homeschooling, oh, you're going to raise unsocialized monsters, which, of course, now 40 what is it, 40 years, 50 years later, there's so much evidence that, you know, that's not the case, you know. Uh, in fact, there's a, a, a case to be made that perhaps school creates unsocialized monsters, you know. <laughs> well, so, yeah, for sure. You know, yeah, but it really showed me that we have so long, so long to go before schools will appreciate that, you know, giving children, you know, treating them like people, you know, that, that, that they should have, you know, some autonomy in their lives. You know, we don't want them to be in, in unsafe situations. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, (laughs) that doesn't mean you control everything. You know, caring is not, control is not caring. And I I think that schools have completely, you know, lost sight of that. In fact, another piece of evidence uh, comes from Ivan Illich. Um, In in de-schooling society, 
and, and, and I, I remember talking to him about this um, in person. He says that everyone gets the, the, the word education wrong because if you talk to any teacher, they'll say, oh, it comes from the Latin word educere, which means to, um, to pull forth, to, to lead, you know? And you know, so therefore I'm the teacher, I'm leading them, I'm pulling that information out. And then Illich says, you know, first, and you can look this up in the Oxford English Dictionary. That, that's how I verified it. He says, it's not educere, it's educare. That is the actual Latin root of the word educate. And it means to, um, oh, not, not ingest, what's the word I'm, to nourish. It means to nourish. And that if you look at um, early uh, statues and paintings of the early monasteries, because Illich was a, a priest and, a, and he studied um, the, the origins of the church, he says sometimes, and you probably see, see some of this in uh, the older the older places in France, you know, religious sites, where the head of the monastery, uh, a monk, is portrayed as having breasts, and that's the milk of human knowledge. It's hmm. you know, and educare refers to breastfeeding. Yes, it means to draw forth, but it means the child is drawing forth from the parent, not the parent pulling <laughs> the stuff out of the kid. You know, and so that that was eye opening to me because really, I mean, one of the things that that we know is that our our fa things go better when everyone's happy in the family. You know, it feels mm -hmm. cared for and nourished, right? And so, yeah, you know, when people say, yeah, let let let's you know double the standards so that those fifth graders really learn learn their algebra or or, or whatever the topic is that they, they feel they need to learn, it's like, yeah, but. How do you know that they even have enough food on the table? You know, in America, we don't even know they have health care. You know, it's it's so dicey for so for so many people, and their parents may be worried about their college, their student debt coming due now, and it's gonna. So so there's all these stresses and all this stuff, but none of that counts because, well, that's the parents' thing. They're the ones that, that take care of the care and feeding. Where um, where you know, even though they say we're here to care and you know, it's it's control and control is not care. You know, and so I think that, again, schools opening up to this idea is how they're going to change. But no, it's like the, the, you know, artificial intelligence, whatever the next great product is that'll teach kid the math, you know, how to do mathematics quicker. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, they, they don't, it's like they're denying our humanity. Yeah. You know, yeah, true. Like you said at the beginning, uh, you, you can't force a flower to grow faster. Right. It's um, right. You, you have to nurture it. And so de-schooling society, great book, Ivan Illich. I, I, I didn't know you'd, you'd met him. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. That's very interesting. We interviewed him a couple of times in Growing Without Schooling. How do we? Because this is what I tell parents who, who come to me uh, or ask questions. You know, right. Yeah, we, we've looked into it. Uh, we've read a few books. We, we, we're really thinking about going for it. We, we're going to pull the kids out of school. But, um, you know, what, what what curriculums do you recommend? As to your point earlier, it's like, oh, right, no, mm, you're not ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you mean we're not ready? We've done, like, no, you've got, like, that. You're not ready. If you go straight to a curriculum, like you're doing school at home, you've got to mm -hmm. de-school yourself. What does that mean? Well, you've got to unprogram everything you hold to be believed um mm -hmm. your your beliefs that you hold to be true that were drummed into you over your own 15 to 20 years 
uh, exposure to this system. And mm-hmm. this is what Illich is talking about. In, in you know, how do we de-school a whole society? How right. how do we undo this 150-year inhumane experiment of locking mm-hmm. people up and force-feeding them knowledge against their will in a compulsory manner? This mm-hmm. is like crazy. And I honestly think hundreds of years from now, people will look back over this period of history and like, what were they doing? What, like, what? Wait, so they would take kids from like the age of three, four or five, depending on which place you lived in the world, and then force them into classrooms with random strangers for eight hours a day, give them minimum sunlight, bad nutritional diets, and then force them to work again when they got home under the guise of homework Mm -hmm. for 47 out of the 52 weeks a year. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you just reminded me of a great line from, uh, I'm I'm paraphrasing from de-schooling society, but to to that point, especially like with the homework and, and all that stuff, he said, it seems that the point of the classroom is to pre-alienate children so they'll be used to office work. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. But the sad thing is we don't need, I mean, <laughs> do we really need decades of schooling to, to prepare us to, to work in an office? <laughs> yeah. No. And uh, Sir Ken Robinson, one of my favorite quotes of his is, you, you can't sit an eight-year-old in a classroom and ask him to do low-grade clerical work for hours on end and not expect him to not sit still. <laughs> you know? uh, Ken Robinson was brilliant. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Another great. So when so let, let's talk about um, the, sad, the sad moment. John passed uh, in, I think, the mid-'80s, uh, yep, as we've 85. spoken to before. What had what had he seen change? Had there been a um, like a, a shift in in the planet of what you guys were trying to achieve? Had he had the opportunity to see some of his work come to fruition? Because I I would right. I would love for him to like you know be brought back now and and see what's happened like on the back of his work. But but what 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 was tangible at that time? Well. I, I'm so happy you're asking this because, as I said, I'm, I'm, I've been collecting all the back issues of growing without schooling into, um, I mean, they're all online. You can you can look at them on my website, but, you know, the type is, is super teeny and, you know, so I, I'm doing it. But in this, the, the 10th anniversary issue, you know, it, it goes right there. You know, uh, it, my colleague Susanna Sheffer opens with this. In 1976, John Holt wrote in his book, Instead of Education, you know, where he called for an underground railroad to get children out of you know, the destructive effects of compulsory schooling. He wrote, there may be no one else who feels this way except me. A year later, John started publishing Growing Without Schooling to prove himself wrong. And he found to what must have been his great relief and happiness that many, many people, more with each year of publication, already felt as he did or eager to hear what they ought to. And GWS grew from a four-page newsletter to a 32 or more page magazine, and its scope and implication far exceeded John's imagined expectations. And I think that that's absolutely true, you know? I mean, right now, 
I mean, I'm still amazed. It's not a, a firm number, but they're saying now that homeschooling is about 4%. Some people go as high as 11%, but, you know, but again, because of COVID, you know, parents saw what was going on and said, well, I could do this. <laughs> I could get my kids a couple of computer classes and then, you know, they, they could do more interesting things. You know, people figure out these different ways. So, you know, I, I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought there. So, um, so yeah, so, so John's, I, you know, I, I think John was, yeah, that, that was it. So John, and, and he wrote this in Teach Your Own, he didn't think more than two to 3% of the, of, the, of the adult population would ever homeschool because of, of the things that we've talked about. Most people are, are very status conscious. You know, they want to make sure that kids go get a good education, you know, um, which often means it's going to an expensive college, you know, I mean, you know, and, and, you know, and, and so, so he, you know, re, I, I think he took a, a lot of heart, you know, that, that the small percentage of people, like the people on the Donahue show, small, incremental, I mean, and he always saw that change would, would be incremental, um, he, you know, because he, he, he just realized that the power that, you know, industry and how, how school and industry are, 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 are so locked in, I mean, curriculum manufacturers aren't going to let schools go under, <laughs> You know, but um, I think I think he would be amazed to know that, you know, homeschooling is now at the four percent level in the United States and that, you know, many, many uh, countries uh, allow it and it's growing there. So, yeah, I, I think he'd be very, very pleased. I know I know I am because I, I've always thought of we're going to be stuck in this little little niche. But, you know, it, 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 it just keeps growing, you know, and, and we don't have, you know, big funding. There's no foundation promoting unschooling, you know, it literally is an, an, a grassroots movement, you know, and, you know, some, some people get upset because there's oh, radical unschoolers and all the, let a thousand flowers bloom, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to control it, you know, if, if you want to use, you know, religion is the source of, of your inspiration on school, great, that's great, you, you want to use economic, great, you know, whatever floats your boat, you know, the important thing is, are you and your children learning together are you happy to have a good life together yeah i think you know that, that people forget that you know living a good life is educational you know it doesn't have to be all misery i mean you know i mean because again school is it's we're always dangling the apple the carrot in front of a mule so to speak you know mm -hmm. and uh and then you know we all get disillusion when we realize oh yeah you know like i i got my master's degree in english there's no more English majors in America. They've done away with that whole that whole discipline. You know, I mean, I remember in my Catholic school, the nuns would would be upset if you you weren't writing cursive, right? And so everyone had to learn cursive. Now they they stopped teaching cursive in in the 1990s. You know, I, I mean, you know, all these things that were absolute musts. You know, they just changed because they had to make way for more things that that needed to be taught: advanced algebra, AP this, AP that. You know, and, you know, but it's so arbitrary, you know, it, it, it's just like, what about, you know, what does a child want to learn? Yeah, I mean, that, that you know, and we've seen so many examples with the computers. I'm so many self-taught computer people, you know, yeah, people always cite Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and Wozniak and stuff. But no, there's a lot more <laughs> you know, folks out there who make a living doing this. And a lot, a lot of them were self-taught, mm -hmm. you know. 
you know, they, they may have then taken additional classes to move up, but they started from their own interest and from their own ability. You know. And you, you, you still, you still write the blog on the, on the, on the, um, the website there. And I've just yes. looked up, um, and interestingly, this is, this is something that comes up a lot as a, an accusation rather than, uh, any kind of critical feedback, which is something that homeschoolers face a lot, right? That there's, um, there's a lot of flack that comes your way when you step outside of the masses, right? The masses are generally happy, but the kids on the big yellow bus, I've done everything I can. I've moved into the right sphere of influence, got to the best school I can. I'm working mm -hmm. all the hours of the day that I can. You feel as though you're doing the right thing. So when you come across the, the weird homeschool family that are doing something else, the one pushback uh, or accusation is like, oh, well, you know, it's all fine for you to you know, experiment with your children and, and, you know, but you have no idea that the damage that you're going to do with them, they'll never be able to socialize that again. They'll never be able uh, to get a job. What if they want to be a doctor, all of this kind of stuff. Right. So yeah. what, what do you say? Um, what would you say to people that are experiencing, you know, that kind of pushback? Because it, it, I've seen it cripple people to the point where they're like, you know what? I can't handle this. I don't want to be the odd one out. And um, Right. It's hard to be different. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, um, again, you know, I'm going back to these issues and I saw this, this uh, interview that uh, was published in 1983, uh, two years before Holt passed away. He was interviewed on this radio station about this report. And in fact, several, you know, because he was such a famous critic, you know, he, he, was, he, would be, he wound up, you know, speaking about this a lot at the time. And the report was called A Nation at Risk. And that was 1983. And this very question was asked to him, um, you know, aren't you guys experimenting with your children, you know, when, when you know, school has the, the tried and true way? And then, you know, short answer, and, and you can read it on, it's, that was my most recent blog post from a week ago. But, you know, and, and I, I reprinted the whole, the whole reply that um, John and the interviewer exchanged. But um, in short, John pointed out that, first of all, schools are always experimenting on, on our kids, as this report shows, you know, the Nation at Risk report actually said if a foreign nation were trying to undermine America, the way they would do it would be... <laughs> make our schools so bad that would resemble this, you know? And this was like, you know, a, a, you know both parties, uh, you know, oh my gosh, you know, it was a real damning study. And there've been many since then, you know I mean? Schools, you know, and, and just like, like we said, like the, you know, penmanship's important. No, it's not. Oh, being in English, uh, understanding literature. Oh no, no, it's not, you know? And, you know, and, and, you know, when I think about, you know, what's going on and, you know, people saying parental rights, it seems like, you know, if there's the parental right to keep your children from learning about history or the parental right to keep your children from, from knowing anything that contradicts your, the conventional wisdom that everything is fine. Everything is fine if you'll just obey, <laughs> you know, and, and that's it. And, you know, a lot of people have been buying into that, but I think that now we're starting to see, you know, that, um, you know, I mean, unfortunately, you know, a, a lot of the computer stuff has just because that's where the money is just ported school into the computer and instead of figuring out. I mean, there, there can be ways and I hope that there will be more 
that, you know, um, it's, I mean, Pokemon Go was a great hit when it came out and it got people walking and doing stuff outdoors. It's like, well, why can't we figure that out with other, other things, you know, for, for our kids? You know, but no, it's very important to you know, to keep them locked. You know, it's the whole idea that they all, children only learn by by uh, being instructed, and in, you know whether that's a, a live person or the, the computer program, everyone's comfortable with that. Even, but I, you know, my oldest daughter Lauren, uh, back in the nineties, when she she was homeschooled right through high school. And she was, uh, during her high school years, she took a, she, she hated math and she knew that, that she, she, you know, needed work. And so we, we hooked her up with a program from, it was called the Princeton Review at the time. And she hated the online math program. She said it was just a textbook on steroids, you know, and, and, and she was right. You know, when I sat down with her and, and worked with her. And so, yeah, we, that was a waste of money, <laughs> you know, $600 on the train. But, you know, we try, you know, but, but that's what you do. You, you, you try these things, you know, but the thing is we accept the feedback and say, this doesn't work. We're not going to continue. Most parents, most schools would say, got to finish it. You know, we spent the money. The program lasts 12 weeks. We're only in week two. Sorry, you don't like it. You know, it's like, well, you know, teach the way the child needs to be taught, not the way, the, the only way that you know, you know. And, and, and that's the thing that I loved about growing without schooling. And, and, you know, when we have conversations like this online, you know, it's many people saying, well, we use such and such, you know, um, we, we, we found this book helpful. We actually went to the museum and saw this exhibit and that sparked an interest in such and such. So the more that the more input you get about what's possible, but, you know, and, and, and that happens very organically, like at homeschooling meetings, you know, uh, park days were very, thank God, are still popular. You know, people still like to get out, you know. But um, again, you know, John always, John Holt always said that um, teachers should have their own version of growing without schooling, you know, where, where they, they talk about what's working and what's not working in their classroom. And they try to, they try different ideas, but that's still dangerous, you know, still dangerous. Yeah. And like yeah. I said, John got fired yeah, for doing that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah. the, uh, and now the amount of regulation that's crept in over the last couple of decades, uh, you know, across oh, the, yeah. the globe. Yeah. You'd be, you'd be strung up for having those kind of discussions in the staff room. At exactly. What point, at what point did you realize that you were going to carry on John's work? Is this something you both discussed before he passed or well, yes, because um, John, you know, John struggled with with cancer for about uh, three or four years, um, you know, be, before he passed. And and I was his business manager and personal manager. So, yeah, you know, we had a lot of discussions and he was um, and again, you know, like, I, you know, he was skeptical of authority because of his experience uh, from that, not just not just with um, the world federalists, as I described earlier. But uh, he had a, a tumor on his right leg. And um, doctor said, you know, we should biopsy this and, you know, and remove it and biopsy it and see what's going on. So he went to the hospital and the day of the procedure, they marked the wrong leg, you know, for the, for the procedure. And when John told the person who was marking, he said, that's not the right leg. No, 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 this is it. And he left. 
And so John got up and left the hospital. <laughs> he never went back. He's like, I'm not having this procedure. They don't even listen to me, you know? <laughs> Excuse me. And so, hang on. <clears throat> So John's journey into alternative medicine began in earnest. You know, I mean, he was always, you know, promoting uh, natural childbirth, breastfeeding, you know, anything that, that makes you self-sufficient. Because, you know, as, as Illich pointed out, you know, and John fully agreed, school is where we learn to be consumers, where we, where we get rewarded for, for giving, you know, for, for uh, achieving these little, little things. You know, we get these little bits of food that keep us coming back for more, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and so we, we, we developed that behavior. So John uh, listened to his own advice. So he looked into, uh, he went to Mexico for the Hoxy treatment, which didn't work. Then there was another one, Anne Wigmore, I think was her name. And she had chlorophyll treatment. And so we were getting like all this wheatgrass sent in and we have to juice it up for him. And he tried that and that didn't work. Uh, then he went flew to Illinois. Uh, there was a, a laser treatment that he had read about, and you know the laser treatment. He, he didn't uh, feel comfortable doing it once they explained all the dangers for everything. And um, so it was his editor, Lloyd Lawrence, uh, who also edited books by this uh, doctor named uh, Dr. Bernie Siegel. He was down in uh, New Haven. And um, because Merloyd knew him and um, John read his book and said, okay, I'll, I would be comfortable having Bernie operate on me. And so, uh, and by then it, it, the tumor had gotten so big that um, we he couldn't put pants on. And um, we didn't have the internet in those days. He kept wanting me to find a, um, a kilt for him. He's Scottish. And I couldn't find kilts anywhere, you know, in the yellow pages in those days. So he wound up, you know, just taking a gigantic bath towel and wrapping it around him and, you know, tying it up with a belt and walk down the street and come to work that way, you know. Um, and then he, he, he went and had the surgery, but it was too late. You know, they, they were able to remove the tumor, but the cancer had already spread. And then, he, you know, there was, he lived maybe about a year after that. So during that whole time, we talked about it. And one of the things that, that I'll never forget, you know, and and, and was that he said he didn't want to be the dead hand on the grave from the grave controlling stuff. Because I have no idea what's going to happen after I go. You know, you're, you know, you and whoever you work with, you know, want you to have the control. You know, so um, I was uncomfortable. I was only 26. So I was, you know, a little uncomfortable taking full reign. So I, you know, so we came up with the idea of having a board of directors, uh, which was several uh, people who worked in the office and that, that we knew. And, I, and that I, you know that I knew, so I was comfortable working with him. And you know, then I became president and publisher. And you know, after John died, and um, hired uh, Susanna Sheffer, who became the edit next editor of GWS, and edited for sixteen years. I mean, John only edited the magazine for eight years before he died. You know, and um, you know, I kept it going for sixteen years after his death. You know, so um, yeah, I mean, John. It, we had very serious conversations, but the, the main thing was, you know, here's the only thing he asked me to do, keep his books in print as best I could, because he understood how the industry worked. Keep my books in print, and, but that's it. You could do whatever else you want. You know? 
And, you know, and, and, and I've always appreciated that, especially now that I look at the gerontocracy that's running America and most of the world these days, like these guys, they are the dead hand from the grave. And here in the States there, where they've been writing laws so that we can't change laws going into the future. You know, it's like, this is, this is pretty crazy, you know, but um, I'm very grateful that, you know, I, I worked with a man who, who had a vision and that wasn't to constrain the future or control it. But just you know, to help help us face it with an open mind. Yeah, and you've done a great job, mate. Um, you Thank know you. the the book here. I've got the fiftieth anniversary edition here. In, in front oh of yeah. Um, so you 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 did keep it in print, and uh, you, you've updated them as well as as uh, as far as I'm aware, and yes. you try and keep them as uh, as relevant as possible. And it's um, is this how uh like the the organization makes money is that primarily the only thing that you sell or how, yeah. how does that run well right right now that is how you know that's it it's just the the sale the sales of the books and um you know the self published books that that I have up there the Holt Associates books and i think there's five books that other publishers have licensed so i get some royalties from those but you know they're not bestsellers. <laughs> I mean, this is not; they, they, those days are gone. You know, and, and unless, unless you're, you're, you've got some sort of PhD and you know did five TED talks, no one's gonna, you know, pay attention to you in the world of academia these days. You know, it's uh, you know, and, and that was all. I mean, that it all that had been true, but you know, but I, I always I always was able to find people, or they found me. You know, who were in like these institutions that, that said, well, we'd like to invite you. Like like at least once a year, I get invited to talk to Alternative School Day or something like that. That hasn't happened since the late 90s. You know, I don't think they, they even, schools of education even discuss alternative education anymore. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it's pretty interesting how the, things have gotten worse instead of better in some ways, but homeschooling has grown, I think, as a result of things getting worse. Hmm. So, do you, do you still go to do you, do you go to conferences? Do you get invited to go and speak at the, the, the homeschool events and I, things like that? Not nearly as much as I used to. I mean, you know, um, like I said, I would go to Christian conferences, secular kind. We even put on our own conferences, you know, and they were very successful, but um, it got very expensive and then um, and, and fractured, you know, um, you know, uh, you know. It's it's funny, uh, but you know, I, I know that some schoolers consider consider me like this middle of the road sort of sort of conservative sort of person, um, and that you know I, I don't believe in true freedom for children and families, and yeah, I mean everyone has 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 their sick, and then of course you know the religious from that this type of religion or that type of religion, I can't address that one. No one cared back in the eighties and nineties. We were all in this together. They were coming and take, you could read in the issue. They were taking our, you know, taking us to court for teaching our children at home, regardless of whether you were religious or you, you were doing it because you were, you were environmentalist or, or communitarian, you know, it, you know, and, and so there was that sense of unity, but it, it splintered over the years as, as it became more and more politically oriented, you know, and um, by the late nineties, um, it, it become, you know, I mean, we, you know, a lot of the Christian conferences would have um, military people coming in and give, give keynote addresses. Oh, yeah, yeah they, they still do. And, and politicians, you know, would come, you know, and, and so 
you know, it changed. It wasn't like, you know, let's share our information and here's a, a friendly teacher or a friendly professor to help us. And instead, it's it's now, no, listen to this. And they're almost always men, <laughs> you know, white men, you know, just saying, do this and everything will be fine. You know? So, yeah, the things have splintered over, over time as society. So, yeah, I, I interestingly enough, um, my last paid speaking engagement was to a, a group of charter schools. You know, and, you know, how they can help homeschoolers and unschoolers in particular, because they want to set up their charter to be more experiential and working with families instead of, you know, trying to make the family fit into the mold of the school. And so, you know, every now and then I get that. But even that, that, that happened a year ago. There hasn't been another one since, you know. I mean, I, I think that schools have gotten very locked down. They, you know, they just, they, you know, and, and COVID proved it, right? I mean, they just couldn't think outside the box. Mm-hmm. Let's at least let the kids play. Let them have recess. Well, what, one of the first things they did was cut recess in schools in the 90s here in the States. I, don't, I, you know, I can't speak for elsewhere. But, yeah, it was because they, they didn't, they needed more learning time. In fact, mm-hmm. it got so bad, they even cut lunch. There were, in our local public schools, one group of students had to eat their lunch at 10 in the morning. Which is ridiculous, and your know, parents protested. But I mean, these these ideas—they happened. They eventually got changed. But that's the thinking, you know. Oh yeah, they need learning time, so you know we got to cut back on recess and make that learning time. Oh, they need lunch time. Oh, cut back on lunch time. You know, it's like, you know, we're, we're, they're they're children. It's like they're on it, as John said, they're like bo- empty bottles on an assembly line in school instead of individuals. Where do you see the next five to ten years uh, heading with um, with your work mm-hmm. and with with the website and with unschooling, homeschooling, alternative education in general? Well, I mean, go from the specific to the general. You know, with the website, my goal is to you know, I mean, one thing uh, I've, I've experimented with is doing consultations, and I decided that I, that's not something that I mean, if someone wants to pay me for a business consultation or something like like that, like the charter schools to to do stuff, I'm I'm comfortable doing that. But in my experience, I get too close to the families. I, I don't have, I can't get that professional distance to you know to to really do it and. And so, and I found that that, you know, so that was a dream. But what, what I do want to do is, is promote more of the ideas about um, what homeschooling and unschooling can be based on what it has been. So I really want to get, I mean, we've got 141 issues, you know, of growing without schooling. I'm only on, you know, issue 58 laying it out you know, there's, there's a lot of really good information. So I want to, I'm trying to figure out new ways to package that and get it out there, you know, um, and, you know, again, the, I, if speaking and book sales come from it, great, but, uh, you know, a lot of that, I, you know, I'm just putting out there and hopefully I'll see what, what, what gets traction, you know, because, you know, they're really, it, it is a shame that, that, you know, I know that there are unschooling, I was interviewed by a reporter a couple of weeks ago, and she said she went to an unschooling conference. I went, oh, yeah, where? And she was up in Keene, New Hampshire, she said. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I, I do recall hearing something about that. She said, yeah, I went there, when I, and it was organized by a group of, uh, of college students, uh, homeschooled college students, she said, or college-age students. I don't think they're in college. But um, she asked them... Uh, what do you think of the work of John Holt? And none of them, they said, we'll have to read about it. You know, they didn't know, but they're calling themselves unschoolers. 
you know, and and I get it, you know, because, you know, it's like when, when Ellis came up with de-schooling, you know, people all said, oh, we're going to blow it up. You know, they just want to blow everything up. It's like, no, that's not what I mean. And the same thing with unschooling. Everyone says, oh, so you don't want people to learn. You know, it's like, no, you know, and then you get into, you know, try, trying to explain. I mean, that, that's why John reluctantly but but willingly went to the word homeschooling. Yeah, it, it does have the wrong connotation of putting school in your home. But at least, you know, parents could grasp that as a way to, to start to pull themselves towards something freer, like unschooling, you know. Because, um, yeah, the language gets in the way so many times, de-schooling, unschooling, you know. So, yeah, so trying trying to make those words less scary and more palatable, too. So people realize it's not like we're isolating ourselves from society, you know. Um, in, in fact, it's the opposite. <laughs> we're trying to bring children into society more, mm -hmm. trying to find out ways that parents and, and children can participate in society without always, you know, having to pay for child care in public school or private school. You know, it's like, you know, let, let's figure out like, like this balance, you know, between um, individuality, being, being us and being me. You know, we have, you know, we've done a really good job of the me to the point that, you know, now we're, everyone gets their scores in school and, and stuff. But the us thing is really important, <laughs> very important, you know. And the more we help children socialize in their own ways, you know, um, I think the, you know, the more we'll learn about how children actually learn and how we as adults can help them. And we're we're just stuck in this 19th century idea that you know, you know, children learn like we create products, you know, in a factory setting, on an assembly line, on a schedule, timed. You know, I, I was just reading this thing about you know how unfair time tests are. So now the big innovation for the Scholastic Achievement Test is uh, they're not going to time it anymore. You know, so you can take as much time as you want to do it. It's like. Thank you. Whoopee. <laughs> you know? It's like, but, uh, you know, it's like it, it took them 50 years. Like people have been protesting the SAT. You know, we've been selling books by well-known authors, you know, arguing that, that standardized tests, you know, put people in unfair boxes and, and, and force schools to, you know, to teach to the test. And now we're seeing like, you know, standard, you know, the tests are being dropped by colleges, you know, not all of them, but it's, it's, it, it's finally being questioned. But it's like, there are so many other ways of evaluating. Same thing in business. Like, you know, to go back to the beginning of the conversation, you know, where the employers are bringing, you know, the employees together, you know, not trying to pit them against one another, you know. And, um, you know, I, I, I mean, this kind of bothers me because it's so trendy. But I read in a business magazine, now, now HR people don't give feedback. They give feed forward. <laughs> you know? Oh, my God. So, so they're trying. They get, but they still can't lose the control aspect. It's like, yeah. no, you know, I know you're the boss, and I want to make the product the way you want. But I think if we move this here, this will go better. Or if we work, you know. But it's like you got to go through all these layers, you know. Um, so, so yeah, as a real roundabout way of saying, I, I hope that you know through my work that that people will see that there are other ways of doing things that are just as productive, but less stressful and, um, and less endangering to a child's curiosity and to your own spirits, 
you know, I mean, it's, I mean, you know, as, as a parent, I mean, it's, it is quite a joy when you're, when your child does something that they're proud of and, you know, and that you actually have minimal influence on. It's like, where did they get that? You know, like, you know, when one of my daughters started playing a song on the piano and I hadn't shown her anything, I was thrilled. You know, I was like, yeah, you know, they could, you know, they can figure this stuff out, you know? And then when she asked for lessons, I was there. And then when she went, quit, that was hard for me, <laughs> you know, but I had to learn, right? Because, you know, that was hard for me because I loved the piano. But then, you know, she went on to play the drums and then the bass, and then she became a singer, you know? So I was like, you know, <laughs> but, you know, if I, if I had done the school thing, it was like, well, look, you know, it's, it's piano or bust, you know, you know, I may have turned her off to music for the rest of her life, you know, and I'm glad I didn't. Well, it's it's my hope that the conversations like this that I keep uh, bringing guests like yourself on to to address the audience that uh, you know they might have been tuning in to, to to learn more about Bitcoin. We haven't talked about that at all. We've talked about um, something that I believe is intrinsically uh, linked to it: um, this idea of more control, more self sovereignty, more yes. freedom, having and bringing. Um, the family back to the family unit, because as soon as you give it up, as soon as that three, four, five-year-old walks out of the door and into that institution and has the, the gates locked behind them and then the doors locked behind them, there's somebody else's. And somebody else is bringing them up with their curriculums, their agendas. And that's not... I, I, yeah. oh, I, I don't... I wouldn't like to hazard a guess as to the, the psychological damage that, you know, has, has mm. happened to all of us that have been through that system. Mm. And it has on parents that watch it happen in front of their eyes with their own kids, but right. feel completely powerless. So empowering people with the knowledge that there is a choice and we're not all these crazy hippie right. cultists, mm -hmm like secular yeah. christian catholic whatever right. um you know which you get pigeonholed into because again if you're weird you've got to be labeled something because labeling happens at school the sorting right. system that the school is everybody gets a little label that first week you're in the cool kid gang you're in the jock gang you're in the goth gang you're in this gang like and you'll never break out of that mm -hmm. you're done from that first week we will never know the damage it, it has done to us. Um, and this is why I like talking to Naomi and, and getting inside her head because she does an incredible work there. Uh, I hope that um, just one more family will, might free themselves by listening to, to this conversation. So I really appreciate it. That's how it's been. Yeah, thank you. And that's what it is. It's one, one family at a time, you know. It's uh, because, you know, we're, as we said, it's like you, you have to reach the decision to be comfortable with it. You know, I can't tell you to do it because then I'm just being the teacher saying, sit down, shut up and do as I say. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. well, I, I appreciate you know, the, the time that, that, that we've had together. And I really, um, you know, I, two things I'd recommend. The War on Kids is a documentary. Um, that came out, I don't know, maybe five years, maybe even longer, maybe 10 years now. But that that's really good if you want to see, like, you know, 
I mean, because it's specifically about public schools and, um, and you know, the documentary footage in there and the, the critiques from actual school teachers, you know, are, are pretty strong. And I make a teeny appearance in the movie. I think I got four lines. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's mainly focused on schools. It, it doesn't touch on homeschooling much at all. And then the other one is uh, called Class Dismissed. Um, and that's, you know, there's going to be a free showing on September 30th of that. I forget, um, the Liberated Learners, uh, it's a group of learning centers in uh, the Northeast, you know, they're sponsoring it. So if someone's interested in, in that, it's, you know, that's going to be a free showing online. Um, I, if you go to um, the whole GWS page on Facebook, I, I have the link to that. Excellent. Director is our mutual friend, uh, Jeremy Stewart. That's right. Yeah. That's right, Jeremy Stewart. I didn't that's know how mean. we that's how we got connected all those years ago. Oh uh, goodness! Yeah, goodness! Wow! I, oh yeah! Again, yeah. <laughs> it's nice working with you, Daniel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it was Jeremy that said that. You, you have to chat with with Pat Ferenga because he's the closest um, person that uh, was ever to to John. Worked um, directly underneath him and as a partner as well. In the end. Uh, mm -hmm. And then carried on his work. Um, and Jeremy's other film is yes, self-taught. Self-taught. That's it. Self-taught. Yes. Great, yes. great resources for people to dig into. Um, yeah. the books obviously go to John Holt, GWS. Yeah. Grab a copy. Your own. I, I revised it in 2021. Uh, there you go. That's that's the one. And then and then watch these documentaries. And. Uh, don't go out there looking for curriculum packs ladies and gentlemen this right. isn't <laughs> learning isn't linear you, you that's right de-school yourselves first so pat i really appreciate everything you've done everything you continue to do in this space you are a legend very very well known within this space uh if you've been in around it um you know who pat Faringa is and um yeah thank you for spreading the message appreciate your time uh, and thank you for inviting me pleasure speaking with you daniel and yeah. Lauren. <laughs> and Lauren, of course. Yes. See you. <laughs> All right. Take care. Okay, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to Pat for coming on and going through the, the life of John Holt and how important he was in setting a foundation to think differently about education. Because, my goodness, if we do not start, if, if we truly want to build a better society, we have to abolish this system there's no other way as jeff booth has said many times you cannot change the system from within the system and this system is sick by design and if we want to starve the beast we have to stop feeding it our kids hearts minds and souls this is complete and utter nonsense what's going on john dewey i'm not sure i can't remember if we spoke about john dewey in this particular interview but he was uh an, a, a prominent thinker in air quotes back in the late 1800s and rose to a very prominent position in the American education system and the philosophy behind it. He wrote a book called The School and Society in 1899. Now I'm going to read you a passage because he, his claims, he claims in the book that rather than preparing citizens for ethical participation in society, schools cultivate passive pupils via insistence upon mastery of facts and disciplining of bodies. 
rather than preparing students to be reflective, autonomous and ethical beings capable of arriving at social truths through critical and intersubjective discourse, schools prepare students for docile compliance with authoritarian work and political structures, discourage the pursuit of individual and communal, inqu communal inquiry, and perceive higher learning as a monopoly of the institution of education. Guys, this isn't a fucking drill. This is what was set. This is what we have all been through. You know it's true because you've been through it. So we've got to stop it. And I know Bitcoiners are the first people in line. They will draw a line in the stand and they will sit in the sand and they will say, right, enough's enough. No more. And for those of you that do have families or, or young families or even thinking about having kids, I am super bullish that you will be able to put a stop to all of this nonsense. Anyway, that's the end of that little rant. Please listen to the next show. There'll be more of this coming uh, down the pike. I love talking about this subject. Please hit up the show sponsors, Swan, Hoddle Hoddle and Relay, Wasabi, Bitbox and Mempool. Take care, catch you on the next show.